I remember so well the moment when I heard in the radio that they were they were talking about Gorbachev in past tense, and I was thinking, has he died? What has happened? This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place for first-hand Cold War history accounts. And thanks to financial supporter Jack Veselak for providing today's intro. Make sure you hit that follow button in your podcast app so you don't miss out on future episodes. Timo takes us on his journey through the tumultuous events of the 1991 Soviet coup attempt as experienced from the streets of the Baltic states. As the coup unfolds, Timo finds himself in Lithuania planning to covertly visit the closed Soviet city of Kaliningrad. As the coup escalates, Timo's narrative becomes a vivid street-level account of the Baltic people's defiance. He describes the formation of human walls against Soviet tanks, the strategic significance of the Tallinn TV tower, and the Estonians' ingenious methods of maintaining communication despite Russian interference. Timo's reflections on the fear of violence and the spirit of resistance that pervaded Estonia during those critical hours are a testament to the resilience of a nation on the brink of reclaiming its freedom. Timo's book, Tanks and Roaches, is currently only available in Finnish, Estonian and Slovak, but can be purchased via the link in the episode notes. I'm delighted to welcome Timo Lane to our Cold War conversation. I knew some Estonian students that I had met in a student conference in 1990 in, in Tartu, southern Estonia, and I was trying to organize, to find some kind of possibility to spend a whole summer in Estonia. We got this great idea that I could actually teach Finnish to Estonians, because Finnish at that time was a very, very popular language, you know, right after English. Everybody wanted to learn Finnish. But it turned out, actually, that according to the new regulations, I was not allowed to organize any courses on Finnish. I was a student of Finnish language. I had studied in in a Finnish university, but I should have studied in a Soviet university. (laughs) That was the problem. But anyway, I was invited by my friends for the whole summer. I was able to spend the summer there. And, and the end of the summer was, was the most in, in, interesting thing because that's when the coup took place in the USSR. And right before the coup took place, I traveled to Lithuania, Vilnius, and I got an idea that I would like to visit Kaliningrad, which is the, the Russian enclave, part of the Russian Federation. Even if it's it's even if there are the Baltic states between that enclave and the Russia itself, I was not sure if it would be possible for me to visit that place. Would they sell sell me a train ticket or not? Because I thought that actually I was not allowed to visit that the the whole town was closed for foreigners. Later, it turned out that this was actually the case. It was it was opened only one year later. But I got the ticket in Vilnius, and I and I traveled to to Kaliningrad, and I I thought that I will spend there only one day so that I don't have to stay overnight. I don't I don't need to to take a hotel or anything so that a- anyone wouldn't find out 
I also decided that I will keep very low profile. I try not to speak with anyone because because my poor Russian would show that that I cannot be a Soviet citizen. So I came early in the morning and I left late in the evening. And it's funny that, you know, I was looking for a place to have lunch. The places were so crowded that I actually ended up sitting together with a Soviet officer in the same table. And I was afraid, all the time was afraid that he would ask me something. But luckily he didn't. He didn't. Then in the evening I, I took a train from Kaliningrad to Riga in Latvia. It wasn't easy to get a ticket. The best, ticket, best tickets were already sold. The train was very full, very crowded. It was cold. It was a cold night. I didn't sleep well. But that was the night when the coup started in, in, in the Soviet Union. Did you know at that point the coup had started or did you see any evidence of, of the coup having started? No, no. There was, there was no way to know about that before the morning. The train came to Riga in the morning and I went to the town. My original plan was to stay in Riga for one night. So, so I went to look for a hotel. I visited three hotels, but they were either full or they, they wanted payment in, in hard currency. So I didn't like these options that I was giving. So, so I decided I'll just take a train and continue to Tallinn. But I, I still had some hours, a couple of hours to, to, to spend in Riga. So I walked around and, and I visited the parliamentary building. And I remember they had, they had guards carrying rifles. And, and I was thinking that, isn't that a little bit too much? Do you really need rifles to, to, to guard parliament? But I didn't know what was going on. And I, and I, and I didn't know before I, before I took the train. And I didn't know about it in the train either. I noticed that they were, they were, people were listening to, to a radio broadcast in the, in the train. Maybe it was, maybe even, it, it, it came from this, from this central, from this system, train system, so that every, you could hear it in every, every coach. I'm not quite sure about it, but I think it was so. And, and people were listening to it, and they looked very worried, and they, they listened very attentively. And I thought that, okay, something has happened, but I thought that, okay, I, I didn't understand it, so I thought that maybe it's an accident somewhere. Then the, the train came to Tallinn, but there were no, no taxis. That was something unusual. It was quite late. It was half past 11, so, but people said that there would be taxis coming, so, so I decided to wait. I waited for, for an hour, and then, then there was a private Volga that came. So, you know, people used that kind of black taxis. It was a it was very ordinary thing. So, so there were other peoples going to, to my suburb as well, so we took that Volga, and I got home. And then it must have been close to one o'clock. I thought that before, before going to bed, I will eat something and I will water the flowers on top of the cupboard. 
And I, I remember so well the moment when I was standing on a stool, hold, holding the watering can. When I heard in the radio that they were, they were talking about Garpachov in past tense, and I was thinking, has he died? What has happened? Then they were talking about a coup, and I started thinking that, okay, is this one of those scenarios again? Because there, have, there had been some, some discussions about different scenarios, that one scenario was a military coup. But then I found out that this is, this is what's it's really happening. It's, there's a coup. Then I immediately turned on the Estonian radio and found out that, that it was still free. And I took a notebook and started to make, make notes to, just to figure out what is the situation. And maybe, maybe I'll, I'll give you just a couple of uh, short examples from my notebook. I still have the notebook. For example, one o'clock, Estonia, a column of military vehicles from Russia is slowly moving towards Stalin. If the radio and TV center will be occupied, it will happen between four and six o'clock tonight. That's what I wrote down. Two o'clock, Lithuania, the parliament building is besieged by a hundred armored vehicles. Two o'clock, Latvia, one died and one was wounded when a bus was fired at in Riga, Estonia. People are asked to come with heavy vehicles to close all the streets leading to radio and TV center. Three o'clock, Latvia. Radio went silent at 2.30. You know, that kind of news. Estonian radio didn't go silent. It worked all the time. They also played... Um, a lot of patriotic music between the news. This music really, it, it, made, it made the moment be, feel very special because there were, there were you know, many well-known songs that, that I already had learned to know by, by then. Songs with names like Dawn, No Country is Alone, I Am and Will Remain Estonian, and, you know, that kind of songs. And I think they were played to, to, raise, to, to raise morale. But they also felt like, like a summary of the last five years. They, they reminded people how long way they had come together from, from the first little signs of national awakening till this moment of destiny. Because no one would know what would come next. And I remember thinking how we should preserve the memory of this period when everything is crushed. That, that how could we tell future generations what it was really like when, when the truth is again replaced by lies and repression? I had that kind of thoughts during the night. Then at five o'clock, I, I went to bed. I slept for three hours. 
I woke up at eight o'clock in the morning and they had more news at eight o'clock. In Latvia, four key buildings had been occupied by the morning, interior ministry, radio house, telephone center, and the building of the Popular Front. And at the eight o'clock news, they also said that in Estonia, the column of about 100 vehicles is expected to arrive in Tallinn at about 9.45. So I knew that I have about one and a half hours and I could make to the radio and TV center in time before the tanks arrive. And that's what I did. I went there. Did you ever at any point think this is a time to keep your head down and not be out on the streets confronting Soviet tanks? Well, when I went there, it didn't take long when I actually got this thought. I mean, I didn't think about it in the beginning. I thought that, yeah, of course I want to go there. I don't know what I was thinking. I just, it was just clear that I, I need to go there. And when I, when I came to the Radiant TV Center, I saw there were those, those big trucks and they were still moving them a little bit to make so, so that there would be absolutely no space between between yeah. the trucks to make barricades. Yeah, exactly. They 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 barricaded the the streets quite well. But while we were standing there and and waiting for the tanks, I I just started thinking that does this really make sense? That I I realized that you know young men have always been looking for excitement. You know, when we look at history, they were always ready to go to war. And only then in the war, they, they realize how cruel and inhumane everything is. So how am I different from, from those people? Okay, it's, it's not that I, I'm not really fighting, but I'm just curious. I want to see everything. But do I really have to see what's going to happen? You know, if they start shooting, I thought that, okay, I will go, I, I will go away. I will go to the other side of the street. I will, I will look for a shelter behind cars or so. But I mean, you know, realistically, when they start shooting, a, a bullet can kill you from a very far distance. But what happened was that the column was taking a break outside the city, so nothing was happening yet. And I decided that, okay, nothing's happening here, so maybe I should move around and, and, and check some other places, what's, what's happening at the parliament and government building and elsewhere. So I, I started to walk around the town. It was, it was a bit strange that I was able to travel from Kaliningrad to Tallinn to um, sleep, sleep for some hours and still get to the barricades in time before the tanks. I was, I was thinking that it's a very interesting kind of coup. But on the other hand, um, it was my first coup. So, so, I mean, how do I know? I mean... Later, I also found out that 
that during the Hungarian uprising and, and Prague Spring, the first days, they didn't really show what kind of a line the new government would take. So, so I thought that Estonia and the Baltic states, they are, um, they are a periphery. So, so the Russians can, can, can get there later. They can, they can do their bad things when, whenever they want. So they don't, they don't need to hurry necessarily. You know, that was, that was what I was thinking. There was, there was, there was also this problem that when, because at that time we didn't have mobile fo- phones and, 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 and all those other things. So when I was in the town, when I was, when I had a possibility to see things with my own eyes, I didn't know what was actually going on because I was not able to, to receive any news. But if I would be home listening to the news, I wouldn't be out there seeing those things. So at some point I decided that, okay, I will, I will go home and listen to the news. But before that, I, I thought that maybe I should call home and tell them that everything's fine. And I went to the telephone center, but there were a lot of people there. And there were people queuing and, and, and just a crowd of people. And many of them were outside on the street in front of the, the, of the building itself. But I, I made myself inside somehow. And I got to the, to the desk and I asked them, how long would it take to, to get a phone, phone call to Finland? And I, I was told that they cannot give any estimation. They have no idea. And they also said that, okay, we are, we are still connecting calls, but what will happen in two hours, nobody knows. In Latvia and Lithuania, the connections are all already cut. So nobody knows. So I decided, okay, I just can't, I can't, I can't wait. I, I, there's no, I have to go, I have to go home and, and hope that my, my parents would understand that I just can't call them. I went to my flat which was located in a Russian-speaking suburb, listened to the news, and I was already planning to get back to the town by four o'clock because the Popular Front was organizing a demonstration at the Freedom Square. People were informed about this meeting at three o'clock at night, so that's, I, I picked this, this information during the night, and, and I knew that I will go there. This, this demonstration, of course, was forbidden by the occupying forces. But, but who would really care? I mean, it was, it was clear that I would go there. I, I remember in the bus from Lasnamae to the center, you know, there was something strange because people, people looked so normal. I mean, they were, they were mainly Russians because they were living in, in the Russian-speaking suburb. They were maybe not so, well, I thought that may, maybe they are not so concerned about, about the coup. Probably they were. But, I mean, people have to carry on their lives. And, they, and, and of course, I didn't know what, what's happening they, in their heads. But it looks like a very, very ordinary bus. Nothing special. Just an ordinary day, people going to the center. There was only one old lady holding a small Estonian flag in his hand. So I knew that he's going to that, that same demonstration. And in the, in the demonstration, 
I found out, listening to the speeches there, that that they are preparing for a general strike. When you think about it afterwards, there's an interesting problem. There was still the democratically elected parliament in Estonia and and the government that consisted of reformists and independent supporters. So who would those people be striking against? People living in Estonia would feel the consequences of a general strike. But but how about the emergency committee in Moscow? I mean, they wouldn't bother. But of course, I understand that that this general strike was preparation for for future. It was possible that the government in Estonia would be changed in 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 a moment. It could happen in hours. In in this in this demonstration, I think I had this idea even before. But 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 in this demonstration, I had to I, I got. It got stronger, this idea that something good can actually come out of this. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. I, I started to think that maybe the coup can last a month, maybe three months, but, but, but not longer. Of course, my perspective was very Estonian, but I had this feeling that you, you can't break it, Estonians. They know what they want. It's it's not going to, they they won't be they they can't be successful. And when I heard some news in 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 this demonstration that that there are people in Moscow protesting against the coup, I had this feeling that we are going to win. If if Russians are on our side, we are going to win. Then um, I went back home again. It was the evening, and suddenly. My telephone rang, and I I took the phone, and it was my mum. I was so surprised. I, I thought that, how is it possible? How 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 were you able to call me? I knew that there was one direct line between Finland and Estonia, but it was so busy that you would you would never get through it. So. I don't know how long my my mom had dialed the number, but she she got through, and I could talk with him with her. I said that everything is okay. I will stay here. I guess I I was not able to tell her everything. I had to. I had to tell her that okay, borders are probably closed. And. I will not be able to call you. 
but everything will be fine in any case. And and I was I was telling her that my my safety depends very much on my own decisions. And and I don't think anyone in this situation anyone will pay any special attention to foreigners. So there should be nothing to worry about. And it it seemed that my 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 mother took it as as I told it. So she she seemed quite calm. Do you tell her anything else on that call? I mean, you know, I'm just thinking. You you know you're going to be going on a demonstration. You know there's Soviet tanks and Soviet soldiers with live ammunition. Do you tell her on that call specifically that you love her or or anything like that? Can you remember? No, I, no, I I didn't tell anything like that. Yeah. I think it was more more like we were we were trying to think about the situation from some kind of logical point of view and I think maybe she didn't even realize what kind of dangerous there actually were but it was very good that we had this contact it was very good I knew that they they are fine and they knew that that I'm okay so I felt better after that. It was late evening. I listened to the radio, of course, and they were they were they were telling on the radio that they there there are buses taking people to the TV tower, and they were also saying that if the TV tower will be occupied, it will probably happen the next night. And I was thinking of going to the TV tower, but I simply felt too tired. I had slept only three hours. So I decided to stay home and have a good sleep. And the next morning I woke up, I turned on the radio again, and there were two important pieces of news that, that came on the radio. One was that Estonia has declared independence. It had happened 11 o'clock the previous night. But what's interesting, that was not for me in the main, main news. I took notice of that, but there were no celebrations and I didn't feel anything special about that because I knew that what actually will will decide uh, independence is how this coup is going to end. So what was more interesting for me was that the television tower was taking between four and five o'clock in the morning. I don't know what the people did, those who were sent there by the buses. They were probably just just watching by. I have heard that that many people, some people were complaining that authorities had not, had done nothing to, to, to defend the tower. But, but this wasn't actually true because there was a plan. But the plan was not to, to leave civilians to the mercy of the tanks. There were actually four men, four Estonian men on the top, top floor of the tower. And, and they had a room there. 
a steel door was built there after what had happened in January the same year earlier. And the idea was that those men would would blockade themselves in, in, in that room. And through that room, they could control the, the traffic through the TV tower. The tower was sending TV signals, radio signals, and also it had a connection to Helsinki because Helsinki was so close that you could relay any, any information you, you want to, from, from Estonia to Finland. And that's how the whole world would get information about what's, what's going on in Estonia. And they went to keep control on, on that. I didn't, I didn't know about, about this fact yet. But after having some breakfast, I, I decided, decided to go to the TV tower to, to, to look around. Again, it was difficult to find a taxi. I mean, usually, usually in Tallinn, you would always find a taxi. It wasn't a problem, but, but no, not this time. I found one, but the driver refused to take me there. There was the general strike was supposed to start at twelve o'clock, but this was not the reason. He was telling me just that you just can't get there. But then I asked it, okay, maybe you could take me as close as you can and then I'll walk from there. But he still refused. He didn't want to go there. So so I just had to take a bus to get closer and then, then I walked some distance to, to the tower. There's one road that goes past the tower, so you can, you can reach the tower from two di- directions, from the east and the west. I came from the east, and I saw there were tanks in a row on, on that road. They were blocked, blocked by trucks and a bus, and that's why they were standing there. But I, I realized that they had decided that they don't actually need to 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 get through to the to the TV tower. That that they don't they can leave the tanks there. That it's not not necessary to do that. There were some soldiers sitting on tanks. The atmosphere was, I would say, quite calm and peaceful. There were civilians walking around. No big crowds but still still many people i went close to the tower and and i saw that at the base of the tower there was an area that was closed by a fence and there were soldiers carrying rifles inside something very similar to what i had seen in vilnius just just some days ago because they had a an occupied tv tower there since january but then I noticed that something is something is happening happening on the western side, about two hundred meters from the tower. And they were bringing bringing more. They were actually the 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 Russians were bringing more troops to the area from from the west. There was also a blockade. There was a truck with a trailer, and a Moskvich car that blocked the road. So. I went there, and, and there were other Estonians who also came there to have a look. I didn't see women. I saw how the Russians started the truck, tried to move, move it, but, but couldn't. The motor was roaring. There was exhaust gas in the air. But it was, 
it was somehow blocked that they just couldn't couldn't move move the truck. So then then they detached the trailer and pushed it aside. And then I saw that there's this Moskvich as well, this this car. And they also pushed pushed Moskvich away. And I I saw it slowly rolling into a deep ditch. And and I remember thinking that that this this moment will show me how much do they care. Because you could prevent damage if you would just stop the car or you just could let it go and not care about it. And in the last moment, one soldier ran to the car, opened the door and braked just in time. So now they got enough room for, for military vehicles to, to drive through. But the road was still blocked by people. There was a human wall formed by Estonians, and I was among them. Uh, I was on the right side. You know, it felt the most safe place to be in. I didn't want to be in the middle of the road. Soldiers came out, formed a column in front of, of the Estonian men. And there was about 10 meters between, between this human wall and, and the soldiers. And I realized that, that a clash is unavoidable. There was someone from the Estonian Home Guard who was, who was telling, that, telling the Estonians that, okay, we have shown them that we don't want them. They, 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 they got our message. So let's now step aside and avoid bloodshed. But the, the, but the Estonians were not ready to do that. They, I remember someone said that in the West, they will not listen to us un, unless, there is, under, unless there is blood. No one will pay attention. So let's give them the blood. The Russians, there was, a, there was an officer commanding, commanding this unit. And he was speaking to a loudspeaker, speaking to the Estonians. I didn't understand what he said exactly, but it was clear that he was saying something like, please move away, we are coming anyway. I remember Estonians staring at the eyes of Russians. And the Russian soldiers, they were, they were glancing at the commander. And that moment, I realized that on my right side, there was a chain link fence not far from me. And I, I thought that, I realized that if they would be, become panic and people would start running in my direction, they could crush me against the fence. But about 10, 10 meters further, the, the, the fence took a turn. It turned to the right. So that if I would move a, a little bit forward, I would be in, in a safer place. About the same time when, when I, I started to move, I didn't hear the command. But suddenly the soldiers started running. 
I think I think I saw. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure about this, but I I have this kind of memory that I. I. I saw that the that the soldiers hesitated for a couple of seconds. But then they they put put the rifles across, in front of them. Ran forward. And started kicking and and pushing people with a rifle. Then. Then the last man, turned around, loaded a, loaded his rifle, and po- pointed at us. Um, and I knew this very well from the army. It was that the last man was covering the rear, making sure that that nobody is attacking from from behind. But when when he loaded the gun and pointed at us, I. I started running, keep, keeping my head down, and those were very long seconds. I I decided while I was running, I decided that I will fall on the ground the very mo- moment I hear the first shot. But it never came. Then, sixteen years later, I I actually. You know, when I was writing my book about about all, all my experiences, I found a video that was taken of this incident, and I actually I actually even remember that there was someone with a video camera there, and 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 I think she was actually a woman, and she was standing quite close to me. So, so the video was shot from a very similar perspective as mine, and I could, I could still recognize the face of the last man. I, I still had it in, in my mind, and I could recognize that this was the man. I had seen the face only once, but I, I, I remembered it, and. And and there was something interesting in the video, something that I hadn't seen. It was that one soldier who was also looking back suddenly bows down and turns his back as if he was dodging a flying object, and then he raises up again, and then three or four soldiers. Go to, they go to the right, to the right side. They point their rifles somewhat downwards, again to the right, and look in the same direction. And I was thinking, what are they looking at? Maybe someone made a movement that looked like he was throwing a stone, or something. In the video, I di- couldn't see anything flying, so I don't think there was. I don't think anyone threw any anything re- re- in reality, but this made me understand how easily someone could make a misjudgment and shoot. You could very easily pull the trigger in in a situation when you when you suddenly feel that you're threatened, that someone is is attacking you. In that moment, I never realized how how dangerous it was. What happened then was that 
the Prime Minister of Estonia, Edgar Savisar, was having a meeting with some Soviet commanders in the center of the town. And he, he, he had news from Moscow that, that the coup has failed. And he, he was telling these, these news to those commanders. And then, then he got a call telling that at the TV tower, there's been a clash and someone has died. Well, okay, as we know, it turned out that nobody had died, but he decided to, to go to the TV tower immediately. So he, he took those Soviet commanders with him and they came to the TV tower. I didn't see them coming because I had left the tower before they came. But there is a well-known television footage about, about those people coming to the tower and discussing what is the situation. It actually turned out that the, the commander at the TV tower didn't know anything because they, were, they, they didn't have any, any connection to, to, to their headquarters. And he said that he would take orders only from Moscow. So what they actually did is that they agreed that they will go to, to a Navy headquarters where they could get connection with, with Moscow. These connections, this information is, is an interesting question because the Russians, they thought that they had cut the communications of Estonians because, because the Estonians, they switched off the TV signal to calm down the Russians, to, to let them believe that, okay, now nothing is going out of the tower, no signal, you, you got what you wanted. But in reality, the radio uh, continued working all the time. And they also had a possibility to switch on TV if they wanted, the Estonians. Hello, I'm Craig Donald from Aberdeen, and I support Cold War Conversations with a monthly donation because it marries interesting historical content with fantastic storytelling. Ian is a great gift as an interviewer. He knows his subject so that the conversations are meaningful, but he also allows guests to tell their own story. Cold War Conversations is part of my weekly routine, and I would urge you to make it part of yours. Want to be like Craig and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War? As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free. You'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more or follow the link in the episode information. So... Estonians actually were very well informed all the time. They had the radio. But, but Estonians were jamming these military connections so that these paratroopers at the TV tower, actually, they were the ones who didn't have any connection. And they were not able to make, make decisions because they didn't get the orders. So... This is where it ended. That was a really fascinating account you gave me there. That, I was basically didn't want to interrupt you in your, in your flow there, Timo, because it was a great eyewitness account. Quick question. What, what happened to the guys that were in the tower locked? Because they were locked in a room up there. Did the Russians know that they were in there? 
that's actually a good question because when when the when the Russians came to the TV tower early in the morning, those four men they rushed upstairs, took all the lifts up, and blockaded them. But these paratroopers where they were running up the stairs, and the Estonian men they one of the men has has told that they they did it very quickly, surprisingly quickly. And and he actually had an eye contact with a paratrooper, who who was on the uh, on the stairs. And they even exchanged a couple of words before he shut the door. Then, for some reason, these four men were were left alone. And the the Russians didn't like they didn't pay much attention to them. And there are there are a little bit different accounts in this why 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 this happened and how it actually was, but later during the day, they started to become interested in those men upstairs. And one reason for this could be there are people who are saying that that the, the Estonian radio was was talking too openly about the four men upstairs, that there were some people, local Russians. Maybe from from the inter movement, which was which was a pro Soviet movement, that they 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 probably informed paratroopers about this or something like that. But in any case, during the day, the Russians came to the door and demanded the the Estonians to open it, and they said that we will blow up the door if you don't do that. But then the Estonians they said that they would use the fire extinguishing system of the tower which worked on freon so that the that the that it would take all the all the air and it would kill everybody everybody in the tower so they would use it if they if they try to attack i don't know if it if it really would have worked that way or was it just a bluff i don't know but but the russians left them alone again so so they were there till the end. I found out later that this this was the most traumatic moment during those days in in Estonia. They even have a monument for for defenders of of the TV tower at the TV tower right now. So it was a significant significant thing. Wow, incredible. Incredible bravery as well. Timo, what, what did you do after you left the TV tower? I, I came back home that evening and I heard the news that the coup was over. The TV had not worked during the day. And I remember when I came, came back home, it, it was not working yet. But it started working soon. And I just remember the feeling when I could. I could see the news program and I could see the the good old news news reader and I could hear his calm voice. It was so good. And then I it really hit me that it's all over and Estonia is independent. It was a great moment. Don't miss the episode extras such as videos, photos and other content. Just look for the link in the podcast information. 
The podcast wouldn't exist without the generous support of our financial supporters, and I'd like to thank one and all of them for keeping the podcast on the road. The Cold War Conversation continues in our Facebook discussion group. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thanks very much for listening and see you next week. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information